Hello and welcome to Shuffle Buddies. Hello. I am Chris. I'm Casey. So excited to be here. So excited. <laughs> you know what else? I'm thankful. Oh. I'm thankful for all these wonderful games around us and the people to play them with. Okay, good. I was going to say you better <laughs> be thankful for such an awesome partner. I am also. To play board games with. Yeah. <laughs> I'm thankful for a partner that teaches me how to play all the board games. Well, I'm thankful for someone to teach. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to our podcast where we just adore each other. Yes. (laughs) But I was thankful because we have just celebrated Thanksgiving Mm -hmm. and we are fat and sassy. Mm -hmm. Extra (laughs) sass. And in addition to that, we've even partaken in some sports. Well, we didn't partake in the sports, I guess, but I witnessed sports. Yes, which is a big deal for Chris. So I am not like a super football fan, but if it's on or if someone invites me over to watch football, I'll totally get in on that. Like I can get into a football game. And uh, the Gophers, the Minnesota Gophers, were playing the Wisconsin Badgers in competition for Paul Bunyan's axe. Mm -hmm. I had to say the X extra hard on that. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) But um, my dad, we have our, uh, we have like our family chat text message chain and he texts about the gophers a lot. I think he's way more into it than all of us are. You know, I just kind of been watching stuff on the periphery and I was like, oh, that'd be kind of fun to go to a game. It's an outside stadium, watching football, all bundled up, good times. And the only one that I was able to make schedule wise was this last one that we went to gophers versus badgers yep my dad couldn't make it (laughs) so me and my brother went along with our partners so his girlfriend and chris came with too yep and it was super fun i thought it was a really good time (laughs) i really enjoyed it what did you think yeah it was really interesting it was a historic game for some reasons i guess because yes it is a ongoing feud from what i gather It's a border battle. Yep. That's a new one that I just learned, but it's an ongoing (laughs) thing. And so my, my, I'm from Wisconsin, specifically just outside Madison. And my brother and dad went to University of Madison. So when they found out I was going to the game, they were confused and interested. Mm -hmm. And then we're sending me all sorts of things to send to Casey's family because (laughs) now we have a family border battle as well going on. Yeah, it was fun. Um, So I lived in Wisconsin for 20 years and then Minnesota for approximately 20 years. Mm-hmm. So I had no dog in the fight. I was just happy. I, I was good either way. I was like, I, I feel like I am the winner in this because no matter who wins, I can say that's who I was You're rooting like, for. Yes, that's who I wanted to win. Yep. And I feel bad because you spent like half an hour in line getting myself a beer and yourself a pretzel. I have been spoiled <laughs> because I think the other sporting event I went to was a baseball game. Mm. at the target field with work and And that place is just the best yeah and i was like wow there's so much food and there's like bars in here and there's Mm -hmm. so so much interesting stuff so for some reason i also thought that was going to be the case at this college game and it's not quite the case not quite the case and there might have been more artisan places to buy food from but i bought it from the straight up like concession stand and it was late in the day and they had run out of a lot of things (laughs) and i got some dry pretzel dry dry hot dog (laughs) yeah I was still happy to happy to be there. Yeah, it was super fun. And so, um, spoiler alert, the Gophers won. Yep. Uh, and it was a big deal because it was the last home game of the season. Mm-hmm. And it was basically as good as the Gophers winning 
the championship. <laughs> like mm-hmm. that is that is like the height of winning. For the us. way that the audience reacted, you'd think it was the championship. <laughs> the crowd, <laughs> the audience. Yeah, totally. Apparently, someone told me this today. Minnesota hadn't beaten Wisconsin at home mm-hmm. since 2003. Yeah, that's crazy. That's that. No, no wonder why it was like people were pouring onto the field like over the barrier like jumping down 10 feet to get onto the field and then the field was packed with people Mm -hmm. so it was just fun to see we did not go onto the field but like i hadn't done something like that in a very long time so it was it was a fun experience it was fun to do with my brother too well speaking of family Uh uh-huh i wanted to talk about a game that we've been playing with my family mainly in fact i've never played it in person and oh, so on board game arena. On board game arena. Yeah. Yes, it is on board game arena. It is a game that I just thought I would call attention to because I really enjoyed it as a family filler, and that is Draftosaurus. <gasps> yeah, that is a good one. I think it's actually really interesting when I looked into it. It's by Team Kadama, which is a design team composed of Antoine Bauza, Corentin Lebrat, Ludovic Moublanc, and Theo Riviere. And it's published (laughs) and it's published by Ankama. (laughs) Cool. Draftosaurus is just a cute little drafting game where you grab a handful of dinosaurs and you have a little player board that's a park with all sorts of little pens on it. And every turn you take a set of dinosaurs, you choose one to add to your park, and then you pass that handful of dinosaurs onto your partner and they pass it on to you. Um, And you place six dinosaurs and then you do it again and place another six and at the end of 12 it's game over and all the pens have different scoring conditions like some can only hold the same dinosaur some need pairs Mm -hmm. so there's all these little um scoring conditions around the park and then you're also constrained by a dice that you roll and you either have to place it on the north or south or left or right or Mm -hmm. certain pens or you have to place it in a pen that doesn't have a t-rex right yeah something like that so you're getting these dinosaurs to place every time and then there's kind of a you know you're like oh perfect i got the little uh, i couldn't think of a dinosaur name i got the (laughs) (laughs) i got the little stegosaurus and i want to put him here but oh he has to go on the side with the bathroom so i can't put him there and yeah and so you kind of are just doing the best with what you're given It's very similar to a game like Sushi Go, and it's a very similar weight and level, but it's just a little bit different because in Sushi Go, you're just collecting cards to make combos. In this one, it's a little bit more of a spatial puzzle. And I think I just appreciate it because I've played a lot of Sushi Go on Board Game Arena specifically, and it's really refreshing to have a different light drafting game that gives you the same feel. It plays incredibly quick. Games are over within 10 minutes, probably maximum. And it's just a really fun, clever take on this drafting puzzle. And when I looked into it, it makes a lot of sense that it's very good because the design team who made it are like some serious game design heavy hitters. So here's some games. Yeah. Here's some games that the individual designers have made. So Anton Bauza has made Seven Wonders, Seven Wonders Duel, Hanabi, Takenoko, Takedo, Ghost Stories. He's made a lot of really successful games. Ludovic Mablanc has made things like Cash and Guns, mm. Mr. Jack, Cyclades, and then Theo Rivieri has made Nagaraja and Sea of Clouds. I don't know if you remember all of those, but I don't. I don't think, but I know all of some them. of them, which yeah. is a big deal. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah, so it's coming from these four designers who have all made these like some serious heavy hitting games, and mm-hmm. they just have this little design company that they call Team Kadama. 
and uh, they put out this little Draftosaurus. And so it's not like a game changing, amazing game, but it's a great family game that plays really quickly and has a really fun theme. So I've been really appreciating that. It's the perfect game for online playing with your nieces and nephews especially when it's like 8.45 and the two boys have to go to bed soon, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's like, okay, we can have a, like a 15 minute game. Yep. It always fits within the time limit. And it's fun. Yeah. It's just like a fun, like that's one of the games. Cause there are, there are some games on board game arena now that I am playing, but I really am not paying that much attention (laughs) to, but this one I'll pay attention. Like this one's really fun. It is. I like it. It never overstays its welcome. That's exactly it. So there is like a real version, like a real life version of this? Yes. Yeah. Like a hard copy? There is a hard copy. We should get that. <laughs> we play it so much on Board Game Arena, though. I feel like now Board Game Arena has kind of been like, are we going to play this in person? Because we played it so much online. <gasps> I I don't know. Well, it seems like it'd be a fun game to play in person. Does it have little wooden dinosaur pieces? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's perfect. That's very cute. I think that'd be fun. All right. Well, I'll keep my eyes out for it. Okay. I was going to say, I was like, if it's like a rare thing, don't pay like a hundred bucks for it. It's not. It's not. It's everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) You can go find it today. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, speaking of buying anywhere. Mm -hmm. Great segue. I have been playing another digital game that has kind of a board game tangentially related theme. And you can literally buy it anywhere. You can buy it on Switch. You can buy it on any console. You can buy it on iPad, iPhone. Oh, is it a video game? Computer, yes. It's a video game. And I actually think you might like it. So maybe I'll have to show you because I've been playing it a lot lately and it's called Dicey Dungeons. Oh. Have you seen me playing that? I Maybe. Probably. And I just didn't know it. I've been playing it on Switch. So I've been playing it in bed sometimes. Yeah. And if you hear me clicking late at night, it's probably because. (laughs) No, I fall asleep so fast. (laughs) Well, I have been adventuring through tiny little dicey dungeons. (gasps) It's designed by a guy named Terry Kavanoff and published by his company, Distractionware. And it's basically a simple roguelike, which is a type of game where you're kind of going through randomly generated series of, of encounters. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the, the items that you find are kind of randomly generated. So it's kind of this thing you're meant to do again and again. Oh, cool. Um, and you're going through this little dungeon and it kind of has this game show theme where Lady Luck is sending you in this dungeon and, and you kind of have to make it to the end and see if you win. I think you're trying to win your freedom. Ah, oh, it's light. Yeah, but it is very light. <laughs> it is actually very light. It has a very charming art style. Yeah. And it has these cute little dice characters who have like little swords and things like that. It's funny. And they're just like, dee, dee, dee. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to gain my freedom. <laughs> it's exactly <laughs> like that. Um, basically every game you just get thrown into this dungeon. You go from encounter to encounter. You can buy and upgrade items. You can kind of customize your little set of equipment you can use when mm-hmm. you're doing these battles. But the battles themselves are just rolling dice and kind of using those results to trigger effects. And even though that sounds pretty random, you can really set up combos where you can like have certain spells that adjust your dice up or down one. And you can put in dice to get another free dice if you use this ability one time or something like that. So there's all sorts of ways that I just was really impressed that you can really like synergize and get a really good build and just like run through all the dungeon and crush everyone. And sometimes you just don't get that synergy going and it's a tough go. But it sounds kind of like an immersive... I mean, just from me knowing absolutely nothing about it, except that it has dice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it kind of sounds like an immersive, like, Sagrada. 
Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like that. I, it's kind of a puzzly thing. Mm-hmm. And then the enemies you fight kind of add that other challenge to it because some are immune to yeah. these things or resistant to this or do the, do this type of attack. I really appreciate it because some of these roguelikes, and it's a very popular genre, like incredibly popular right now, just go on a little bit too long. I played another one that was called Slay the Spire, which is probably like the most popular roguelike deck building version of this mechanism. And Slay the Spire is great, but the runs can go for, you know, you kind of have to play them over a series of of sittings because they can take mm. an hour or two hours or maybe even three hours. I can't remember exactly how long they take, but they last a while. Dicey Dungeon, you can sit down and play start to finish and do an entire like six level dungeon in probably 20 minutes, something like that. And, cool. and you can even break it up from there because you can, you know, each encounter takes no more than just a couple minutes. That's um, kind of nice. It's like, it's nice to have just different weights of things because maybe sometimes you do want something that's really chunky and you need to do it through multiple sittings, but it is nice to have a game that allows you the option to just do like a couple minutes here, a couple minutes there. Yeah. It, and it's, it is, but it's one of those things you do a couple minutes. You're like, I'll do one, I'll do one battle. And then you're just like, well, one more. Oh, I want to like try us. out this new item. Let's do one more. <laughs> that sounds like us watching Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> just Let's just do one, one more. more. It's a little shorter than Cowboy Bebop. <laughs> um, and again, like I said, Part of the enjoyment is the presentation, which has this really cute art style. Mm -hmm. And there's just this like endless series of bad guys that are all really hilarious. I'll tell you my favorite one is this little frog with a big sword. And he's just like the dopiest drawn frog. It looks like a frog that I would draw in like the margin of a sketchbook, Mm -hmm. just like a really dopey little tiny frog with a human body with a, with a sword that's like seven times bigger than him. And he just looks so happy and adorable. Like the first time I saw him, I literally laughed out loud and I was like, that is so stupid. And I love that frog. And it's full of just these, (laughs) these funny characters. And so, yeah, I was playing it a bunch. I haven't like beat all of the challenges because there's actually a lot of content. There's multiple different characters who all play totally different that you can try out. Um, and then I just bought it cause I'd heard good things about it, but I just never got around to picking it up. Cause then I'd look at the screenshots and I'm like, eh, I don't know if I want to play like this dicey kind of random game, but it wasn't like that at all. And then sure enough, it's by Terry Kavanaugh, which is like a designer that I'm really familiar with that I've liked his indie stuff forever. Nice. And he's made stuff like don't look back super hexagon and the game I never know how to pronounce. It's called VVVVVV. <laughs> or maybe it's called or maybe it's called or maybe it's called I'm actually not sure how it's pronounced and I think that's kind of, I don't know if he's ever like clarified because I feel like I've heard it talked about a lot and everyone's like it's vvvvvv or, <laughs> or you know whatever it is yeah. but um so he's a super solid designer all of those games are kind of these super bite size um little games and this feels like the biggest game he's ever made but it's also still incredibly bite-sized and compact and fun. And I think on iPad, you might really enjoy it. That sounds awesome. Yeah. Is that super hex one? Is that the one that's on your iPhone? Yeah. Like the honeycomb? S- one? No, or is no, that no. a different one? No, the one that I play on my iPhone. No, yeah. it's not that one. Cause I downloaded that and I've just never played it. Cause I'm just like, <laughs> oh, I can't. <laughs> it's pretty ugly. No, su- uh, super hexagon is pretty stylish. It is on the iPhone and you basically you're kind of it's a really difficult game where you're trying to guide a dot through this like series of rotating levels kind of. The game that you're talking about is Ultra Honeycomb Hotel. Yes. That's the one. Which I actually was playing today. Were you really? I mean I play it like every day. It's kind of like my I don't Zen I didn't know game. you still played that so much. I, I I remember seeing you playing it like a while ago. It comes and goes. Okay. 
It is a very ugly game. I don't know who made it. The thing about Ultra Honeycomb Hotel is it is a pure, pure logic puzzle. And so if you love the idea of like a crossword puzzle with pictures that just use like kind of if then statements, mm-hmm. then I would recommend it. If but, then statements, that's like my job. Yeah, I know. Well, I know it's a very like logic procedural. It's almost just like a zone out activity for me. Yeah. And I play it in times of high stress. <laughs> Not that I'm high stressed right now, but I in <laughs> when I really like played it a lot, it was like when I was teaching classes, I was really oh, uncomfortable yeah. to be like, teaching. Yeah. And I was like dreading going into the building and I would just sit in my car and like do honeycomb hotel until the, the decompress moment. Yeah. Where... Until the moment I had to go to class. Like when I was teaching the class that I just felt the most uncomfortable teaching. Occasionally I will pick it up for those reasons, but every once in a while I'll just come back to it. And it's really hard to recommend to people because it's hard to learn. And it's a very it's hard very, UI. It's a very poorly designed UI, but it's like the best puzzle that I've ever had because it's just pure logic. You can always solve it using logic. And there's hundreds and hundreds of puzzles. I was looking at it today and I've done almost a thousand of them. Oh my gosh. What's it called? Ultra ultra I was honeycomb for hotel there's a bunch of different ones i think there's like a free version and whatever and also if you do randomly download this game um just do the large puzzles the baby ones i guess the baby ones might be okay to learn but there's kind of these small ones and then there's the large normal size ones and the large normal size ones are the ones to do I might just like, oh man, the UI is so bad. I'll give you a little tutorial about how to do it. I just open it up and it says honeycomb hotel no vacancy and then it has three buttons, one, two, three. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you want to do three. Three is that. the one you want to do. All right. Oh my gosh. I'll teach you how to do it's it. It's amazing. Like <laughs> it looks like just like the old school websites. Yep, it does. It looks very late 90s. Yeah. So if anybody is interested, don't let the UI scare them away. Mm-hmm. Maybe reach out to Chris. He can maybe help <laughs> you get started. <laughs> I'm surprised it's still in the App Store, but... I've had it for a well, long time. Well, you know, and I had it actually downloaded on my phone and I just oh. had to re-download it because I deleted it. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of Honeycomb, uh-huh. the Great British Bake Off just had their finale. That was pretty good. Yeah, right? They, they use honey, Honeycomb. I'm sure. I'm sure someone made the hexagon bee cake or something this Oh, uh, totally. And you can like make Honeycomb with like, oh my gosh, caramel and baking soda or bicarbonate whatever it might be the same thing and it forms like a honeycomb pattern yeah it's kind of like it makes that candy that you really like like that foamy candy oh yeah like uh, what's that candy called i don't know what the official name for it is but it is like a it's like a yellowy foam with yeah. chocolate on it but it, it was like um a but lot. hard and crispy that breaks yeah. your teeth yeah because yeah and it was super good i really mm. like it but I remember when you first showed it to me, I thought it was going to be like marshmallowy texture, but it's like toffee texture. Yeah. Really good. Anyways, the Great British Bake Off, it was between Giuseppe, mm-hmm. Christelle, mm-hmm. and Chiggs. Yes. And Chiggs just started baking like a year and a half ago. Christelle is like 26 and she's just like hyperventilates about everything. Yeah. And then Giuseppe is the Italian. Nice Italian guy. And it was so good. It was really good. I liked all three of those contestants. Is it over? It's over. It was the finale. Hmm. So it was on Netflix and I've never oh, really watched. Oh, that's right. Because the finale, they just do all three. Yeah. So I hadn't really watched a show on Netflix that's like released by week. Oh, yeah. It was fun. It, I totally came back to it every single week. And it was like every Saturday I'd wake up and kind of lay in bed and drink my coffee and 
watch Great British Bake Off. Is that when it comes out? Saturday? It comes out on Fridays. Okay. But then Saturday morning is just such a nice time it's to do it. It's a better it. time to watch it than like a Friday night. Yeah. It's not really a party show. Yeah. <laughs> not that I party on Friday nights, but it was really good. I love the Great British Bake Off because it is just so sweet and wholesome and it's like at the end of it, they kind of do one of those things. It's like a catch up of mm-hmm. where everybody is. And this time it was like two of the younger uh, contestants. They went on a road trip together oh, and kind really? of visited a bunch after of people. After they got people. kicked off? Yeah. 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 Well, after, like, after, the, whole after the whole thing was okay. done. Um, and so and they kind of tracked them on their little road trip. They took pictures with everybody. And it was just so sweet and so cute. Who was it that went on the road trip? Um, it was Lizzie and Freya, the vegan one. And then the girl with the orange hair. Okay. That's, I kind of thought it might be the girl with the orange hair for some reason. Yep. (laughs) But it was so cute. And it's just like, you know, they show photos and they're doing it with the, the cute music behind it. And it's just like, it just, it made me cry. Like I was just like the last five minutes I was just crying. I was like, this is just so beautiful. And I love the relationships and everybody's doing so well. And it makes me happy. It is a really good show. I have got caught up on it. I think we might've talked about it before, but I never watch shows like that, but I can't help watch it when I like walk in the room and I kind of, yeah, get if I have it on. It. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I also love that they have, what's his name? Noah Fielding. No fielding. No, yeah. no fielding. Yeah. Um, They're so funny. And then like, uh, gosh, I can't remember the bald guy's name, Matt, but I can't remember his last name. I don't remember name. his last name. But, but he's I, super funny. I was a Noel Fielding, you know, I, I watched him on like the IT crowd and the Mighty Boosh and all of these shows. I know, shows. and now and, he's on the Bake Off. And when I first saw him on that show, I was like, <laughs> what is he doing on this show? But he, you know, he makes it work and it totally, it, it adds that flavor. It works. What's that other show that you like that has that woman that adds a lot of, a lot of zhuzh to the show? Nailed it. Nailed it, yeah. With Nicole Byers. Yes. She's amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I love that meme that you sent me of Noel Fielding from the IT crowd <laughs> when he's like the vampire that's hovering over somebody and it's like Noel Fielding just bothering the bakers when oh, all yeah. they're trying to do is bake or something like that, which is so true. Yeah. He just bothers them. He's a class act. He's, I, you know what? It's perfect. It's just that show just hits on all levels for me. I'm surprised that the... Guy with hardly any baking experience went as far as he did just because I feel like when I watch these shows and they do the technicals and everything like that, it seems like you would need so much experience to draw on to understand how long something should go in the oven without directions, you know, they're kind of doing it. Especially, yeah, those technicals, it's like, make the toffee. Yeah, and they don't have any description of how to do that. I can't do that. Yeah, so it it really surprised me. I feel like that guy must be like... I bet a genius or something. Yeah. And I bet because it was, you know, 2021. 20, and mm-hmm. so I bet maybe he got really into that baking. was his pandemic. I think activity. that might have been his activity. <laughs> yep. Well, that's cool. Yeah. I, I am impressed by those artisan baking skills. It's amazing what people like what they're able to make as amateur bakers. I always appreciate a fine artisan. And we recently played a game about some artisans. And that was artisans who make glass in Glass Road. Um, I was really happy to get Glass Road back to the table because it's one of my favorite Uwe Rosenberg games. Oh, it was fun. It's kind of known as one of Uwe's like small games, even though it's not that small. And it's very similar to Uwe games in a lot of ways in that you're collecting resources and building buildings and, and mm-hmm. growing your board. But this Just one... cyclical 
get resources so you can build the thing to get the points and then you have to build up more resources to get the thing. Yep. And then you can like gain things that help you build faster resources. Yeah. And Glass Road has two things that make it really special. One thing is instead of just taking actions and doing whatever you want, everyone chooses from identical decks of like 15 cards, I think you choose five roles that you would like to perform in each of the four rounds. And then one at a time you choose, and it's sort of like broom service or a game where one person reveals and everyone kind of has to follow mm -hmm. that action. Like terraforming Mars. Aries Expedition. Yeah, Aries Expedition. Yep. And yeah, so you choose the five you'd like to play, but you're only guaranteed to be able to play three of them or so. And so you basically say, I want to be the wood chopper. I'm going to chop wood. And if you reveal that and no one else had picked that card and reveals it as well, then you get the best version of that action where you get two actions that both do something good. But if anybody else chooses it, they have to reveal it at the same time. And then you If all anybody else has chosen it, they have to say, yes, I have that card. Correct. Yep. And then they play it and then everybody gets a lamer version of the action. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like this balancing act where you want to predict what everyone else is going to do. And you're like, I want to do all five of these things, but I think Casey's going to do two of these. So I'm going to ride off her coattails and I'm going to pick these. And, and you know, ultimately you want to pick the best set of five cards. Mm -hmm. That help you and that will have a good mix of you playing the only one of that card. Mm -hmm. And then also still have a couple cards in your hand that you know other people are going to play mm -hmm. because you can only play three cards yourself right but you do have two extra spots to kind of piggyback on other people mm -hmm. so the only way that you can play all five of your cards is to take advantage of piggybacking on somebody else's and being like yep i also have the woodworker or whatever yeah the stars kind of have to align because it also almost has to happen in the right order sometimes as well mm -hmm. so that is fun it definitely adds like a layer of complexity to it yeah like it really adds a little extra something to and it. And you have to plan for a rainy day and be like, okay, these are the things I need to get done. And if I play these three cards, I can at least get them done. And then you can kind of hope above and beyond there. So it challenges you to be like, okay, this is what I'd love to do. And this is what I definitely need to do. And I need to make sure I can do the things I need to do. Mm -hmm. The other thing that's really interesting about it is how you collect resources, which you collect on a dial and you collect the basic resources of like sand, water, food, coal. And so you collect the resources on these dials and they kind of work like a clock face and you kind of have to see it to understand. But as soon as you collect one of every type of resource on one wheel, it immediately turns the wheel forward and you produce the thing that that wheel produces either glass or bricks. And so it's not something you have control over when you have enough resources, you automatically poop out a brick or poop out a piece of glass. Mm -hmm. So that is another kind of element of that puzzle where if you get things in the wrong order, mm -hmm. your wheel might advance and you might produce something before you're ready to. And you would have loved to spend those resources on building a house or doing something else, but you have to produce if you're able to. Which is super fun because yeah, you have no control over it and you really have to decide because then when you move the dial forward, it changes the number of resources. And right. so all of the resources you used to have one of, now because the dial moved forward, you now have zero of those resources. Right. Oh, which is so heartbreaking sometimes. And sometimes it's not up to you. Like sometimes 
another person is like, okay, I'm going to take food. Mm-hmm. And maybe that was the one that was kind of holding your dial back yep. and you have to move it forward. And then you have zero <laughs> amount of yeah. food and zero amount of whatever was in that one space. And that plays right back into those cards because you can't always choose the order you play your cards. If you need to play a card to get some resource and then a card to build and then a card to get more resources and somebody gets the resources you needed to build with and it and it uses them because you tick your wheel forward then your whole turn is out of order and you mm-hmm. don't have what you need to do later when you play the build action or something like that yeah no it's super fun i i did really enjoy that one yeah and it's something it it doesn't take very long to play it's only yeah. four rounds and you do five actions per round and yeah, it so, took me a second to understand the rounds and the the laying of the cards like it took me a second i was like what i don't get this this is stupid (laughs) but then it was one of those things as soon as we started playing i was like oh okay and it was real real easy to pick up it makes sense as soon as you just pick five cards and and we start playing them out you you realize the ramifications of why order matters and how you should be looking at other people and seeing what they're doing and trying to ride their actions yep and also it shows how much it matters to pay attention to other people Mm -hmm. because if you want to get the maximum benefit of your turn you're gonna have to kind of be like oh okay so it looks like for chris to move that forward he's gonna have to get some resources and so i bet he's gonna play a resource card so Mm -hmm. maybe i'll i'll have one or something like that because i definitely had a turn where i only played three cards (laughs) and everybody else played four or five and that was painful Mm -hmm. and it's a short game so that's like one fourth of the game right there yeah yeah um Mm -hmm. yeah but i love glass road it's actually probably one of my favorite games i bet it's in the top 20 like i forget how much i love it and it's yeah. it's just such an underrated gem i feel like people don't talk about it a ton mm-hmm. um it's by one of the biggest best designers um or i should say Uwe, Uwe, <laughs> Uwe. but people i feel like don't play it and if you haven't and you are able to get your hands on it it they kind of went out of print for a while and they just came out with a new capstones games edition mm-hmm. so it's finally available again it kind of has gone in and out yeah. But it's pretty different than a lot of other games. I can't think of many other that play anything like it. And it is stellar. So I was really happy to get that to the table. And Yeah, it, that it, was super fun. I just realized that that's not even the game that we're talking about tonight. <laughs> I was getting into it because I was just like, oh, yeah, that was a good game. It is a good game. Yeah, but. Should we get along, little doggy? Moo. Moo, moo, There's a lot of cows. Yeah, you should overlap those so it sounds like there's multiple (laughs) cows mooing at the same time. Okay, I'll be like, do you hear the pasture? Remember that time when we went to like an Airbnb uh, with your family and we went for a run and we ran by that pasture where it was just like a ton of cows all mooing? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That was cool. There's a lot of cows. <laughs> yes, then we've had a lot of Airbnb cow adventures. I guess that's oh what gosh, happens when have. you go to Airbnbs in Wisconsin. That's true. With that lovely introduction, would you like to say what we're talking about? Yeah, we're talking about Great Western Trail. Mm-hmm. And yeah. once again, I was organized and have pre-recorded a little introduction. All right, let's talk about Great Western Trail, second edition. It's designed by Alexander Pfister with art by Chris Quilliams, and it's published by Eggertspiel. 
In Great Western Trail, players are going to take the role of ranchers who are going to repeatedly herd their cattle from Texas to Kansas City, where they're able to send them off by train, earning cash and sweet, smoky victory points. The board in Great Western Trail depicts just that, the Great Western Trail, which is a series of meandering paths that start at the bottom of the board in Texas and end at the top in Kansas City. Along the way, there's a series of tiles including buildings, hazards, and bandits. At the start of the game, there's only a handful of tiles on the board, but as the game progresses, that trail is going to get longer and longer. Each player starts with a deck of low-level cattle cards, a player board that's going to track their upgrades and staff, and a train that starts in Kansas City waiting to be moved down the delivery track. A player's turn in Great Western Trail consists of three parts, move, action, and draw. In the move phase, a player can move their cattle herder a few spaces down the Great Western Trail, counting any building, bandit, and hazard tiles they cross as a space. Where they decide to stop determines which actions they can perform in the next phase. In the action phase, players perform a simple action or two depending on where they stopped in the move phase. If they stopped on a building that they own, or one of the starting neutral buildings, they can perform the actions printed on that tile. These actions are the core of the game and include a huge variety of things like buying cattle, building buildings, moving your train down the delivery track, or hiring new staff. Speaking of staff, I just want to point out there's three types of staff that can make future actions better if they're hired. Cowboys help improve your ability to buy cattle, craftsmen help you build better buildings of your own, and engineers get your train moving faster. If a player stopped on an opponent's building or a bandit or hazard tile, they can only perform a small handful of less powerful auxiliary actions that include things like drawing new cards or getting a little bit of money. After performing actions, players just draw up to their hand limit and their turn is over. So turns are quick. You move a few spaces, perform an action or two, and then draw before the next player takes their turn. But let me rewind a second because there's one thing I skipped, and that is what happens when a player reaches Kansas City. When you reach Kansas City, you get to deliver your cattle. When you're making a delivery, you reveal your hand of cattle cards and gain money based on the value of each unique cow currently in your hand. The word unique is key because you get paid once and only once for each breed in your hand, regardless of how many you might have. So having a varied hand will score you big deliveries, even if some of the cows on their own aren't particularly valuable. Once you've collected your money, you choose which city you'd like to deliver to along the delivery track. The more valuable the cattle herd you brought in, the further along the track you're allowed to deliver. However, if you choose to deliver to a city that is further from Kansas than your train, it's going to cost you a few extra bucks to deliver there. Once you've delivered, your rancher is moved back to the bottom of the board starting in Texas, and on your next turn, you're going to start back down the Great Western Trail. Each player can usually make it to Kansas five to seven times before the end game is triggered. And once the end game is triggered, you score points for a huge variety of things. Cows in your cattle deck, deliveries that you completed, stations built along the delivery track, buildings built on the board, hazard tiles you collected, money in hand, points uncovered on your player board, completed objective cards, and whoever triggered the end game gets two additional points. Add it all up and the highest score wins. Now I've only covered the game in broad strokes, but that should give you a pretty good idea of how you play Great Western Trail. Wow, that was super helpful. It's like I learned how to play all over again. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> and it is a it is quite a handful to learn the first time. There's a lot going on. There is a lot going on. 
this game has deck building, hand management. Mm -hmm. It has a rondelle, which is kind of like when you go around in a circle. So you basically the whole board is a rondelle rondelle. where you're choosing actions and you can never go backwards. You can only go forward, Mm -hmm. Um, but you keep doing it again and again. And then it also is a big set collection aspect where you're trying to collect the cows and and tableau building, I guess, because the buildings you build add to your, you know, they're on they're on the collective board, but they they're expanding your personal set of actions you can do. Yeah, I know when I taught this to you, and I taught this to you and two of our friends at the same time. Yep, it was a big teach. It was a lot. It took <laughs> me like two times of playing it to even understand the um, thieves, like the bandits and the the treacheries or the, whatever yeah. they're called hazards hazards yes even even now i still don't go big into them unless i have a final point card that requires it mm-hmm. but i did not even touch those things the first time that we played and i didn't it, get it and so i was just like it's not in my brain <laughs> <laughs> and you kind of don't need to you can really kind of forge your own path you really can and yeah. I really noticed that in the last game that we played. I don't know if we want to get into it right now, if you want to ask any, if you want to talk about any specific features. Well, before we get into that, I guess I would say there is a hurdle of teaching a lot of different aspects in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, I think what you'll find is once you start playing it, the turns are really short and you don't actually have... And this isn't a negative, but you don't have a lot of decisions. You're right. You only have a few spaces down the path you can go. Mm-hmm. And sometimes some of those aren't even your spaces. So you pretty much just consider them blank. Um, and so you only have a few spaces down the path and you just say, okay, I can move this far. I have these three, four actions I can do. Which one of them is important? Um, and you the kind des- of... Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, sometimes the, des- the decisions still can be kind of paralyzing because even though there's only a couple decisions to make how far to move and what actions mm-hmm. to take if you know if there's a choice yep. or if you want to take the action but it's like each action has such ramifications where it's like are you going to do this are you going to go into building are you going to go into this are you going to stop at every location or mm-hmm. are you going to shoot forward yep. three or four spaces every single time so it's like there is still some of that analysis paralysis where it's just like Yeah, there's really straightforward decisions, but there's just like, but they still, there's just like, yeah, they they mean mean a lot. There's a world (laughs) of options and, and I think analysis paralysis is definitely part of it. But once you kind of learn the game and you, you know, your strategy, we were flying turns fly. I think that game goes from, you know, a two hour first play to a hour, an hour tops. Yeah. Like you could really play that quickly once once you know what you're doing. Yeah. Once you start playing it you're really able to understand it more and you understand what you want, what your strategy is. And then you're just basically thinking a few turns ahead. And so when it's your turn, you can just go pew, pew, pew. Every now and then, obviously, you kind of get stuck and are thinking for a while, but Mm -hmm. I feel like it rolls pretty fast. There's definitely a few clutch points where you're like, this is a big decision right now. And I think that's a mind shift that I saw you make because what seems like a leisurely meander down a winding path on this board with a buffet of options in front of you. Yeah. And you want to do them all because you're like, I want to do this. I want to do this. Yeah. Cause each one gives you stuff. Yeah. Each one gives you stuff. And Mm -hmm. you're like, why wouldn't I want to expand my cattle? Why wouldn't I want to build buildings? Why wouldn't I want to do this? And what you find is 
you don't want to because you're against other people. It's also a race. It turns into a feverish race. And so I think when you see beginner players or, or when I first played, I was like, I'm just going to stop everywhere I want. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I played a game against Ian in the first turn of the game. You can put your cattle rancher wherever you want on the board. Mm-hmm. And most people just put it right at the beginning because they're like, I want to go to the first stop and hire somebody. Right. Or maybe I want to go to the second stop and buy a cow or something. And I played against my friend Ian and he just said, I'm going to stop at the space before Kansas City. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'm going to start the game. So he finished a loop as his first action. Right. Or on his first, on, it was actually a second turn because you have to actually take the action on the first turn. And then, but... Right. He already was one lap ahead of me and he got income and he did. And I was like, oh, crap, because I had played, you know, two handed solo a couple times. And of course, when I was doing that, I was just like, oh, let's just buy these cows and whatever. And I wasn't both players are moving out leisurely, taking in the sights. Yeah. But once you threw somebody, especially somebody like Ian, who sees like a path of optimization and just like hits it hard. Mm -hmm. I was like, "Uh oh. And after that point, I felt like I was on the path, like grabbing my cowboy hat, (laughs) trying to catch up and like blowing in the wind because I was just like, oh, my God, he is so far ahead of me. And, you know, it does doesn't necessarily mean he's doing better or anything like that, but it feels like he is because he's made more deliveries. He's got more tokens on the board. Which Um, is not like the point of the game. You know, I mean, like you want to deliver cattle, but there are so many other things you can be doing to gain points. mm -hmm. So it's just, it is hard. That is another part of that, that leads to that analysis paralysis is like finding your path and sticking with it. And not getting swayed by what everybody else is doing. Mm-hmm. It can be super hard when you see people just like lapping. Because every time you go to Kansas City, you do get to, you know, you turn in cows and you get points. Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it kind of is cyclical. And it's like the more you do that, the more money you're going to get and the more cows you can buy. And then the better cows you buy, the more money you get, the higher <laughs> stations you can go, you know, obviously like, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah. it's hard not to feel rushed when someone is racing around that track it is and it reminds me of when you play dark souls for like the second or third time and you just like run i just go past everything (laughs) (laughs) i'm like i know how much i need to interact with in this world and it's not a lot yeah yeah it also reminds me a little bit of freelance work where to do the best version of a project you want to take your time and do your research and put in the work and all those things but like realistically at the end of the day you got to like Crank it out. You got to be smart about what you're doing. Pick your battles and then just get to the finish line and start on the next project and the next project. And yep. it, and it, it definitely makes it feel kind of like a business in that aspect where you're just like, all right, I gotta, I gotta is. get these, I gotta get these doggies to Kansas City and just start this grind again. Yep. That's really interesting. That Rondell feature of just going around the board and like repeating this track. And every time you go around the track, it kind of gets more buildings and gets a little bit more interesting. And the decisions get a little juicier because you get a few more hands to help you. Mm -hmm. I just really like that ramp up from feeling pokey to feeling just like hurried. (laughs) And like you're doing a lot too, though. You're feeling hurried, but you're you're making smart decisions, hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. (laughs) Like I said, you can kind of pick your battles. There's kind of three avenues to success that are defined mostly by who you can hire. You can grab cowboys and get a lot of cattle and make those big deliveries. You can hire craftsmen and you can put out as many buildings as possible and really build those high scoring buildings. Or you can grab engineers and rack up stations and move further down the delivery track and really get a lot of points that way. 
And so originally when I played this game, I think I lean towards building things more than anything. So the builder one really appealed to me. And on my first game, I really tried building. Mm -hmm. Um, But I found that every time I've tried a different one, I kind of was like, oh, this one's really fun. Now I'm a cow guy. (laughs) Now I'm a train guy. And and I didn't like one better than the others, even though I thought I was going to like the building best. The train one is probably the hardest one for me to picture, like how you could really do well. To really benefit from it. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, and you'll never exclusively just do one, but you kind of have to like, maybe just pick two to really focus on. Yeah. That's what brought, that's what's brought me success is kind of two. mm -hmm. And one you hit hard and one you just like focus on. You're Mm -hmm. like, this one is my moneymaker and this one is my backup. And I'm just not going to touch that one because I'm not going to waste time. Yep, exactly. That's what happened to me in our last game that we played. Yeah. And when you walk down the trail, you don't block people from taking actions at the same space or anything Mm -hmm. like that, which is kind of unexpected. Almost when I started playing, you know, you put your cowboy on this little building, you're like, I'm doing the cow buying action. And the next person can come there and the next person and all four of you can be standing there and doing it. Yep. So in that way, there's not a lot of player interaction as far as like blocking each other. Yep. But I did realize how much there is in terms of what your strategy is because when I did play that game which I said against Ian where he immediately got a bunch of money and he went right to the cow market and spent all this money on his first delivery on these cows and cleared out the cow market oh yeah because there is scarcity when it comes to even even though you're not blocking anybody from taking the actions but there is a scarcity that comes to the benefits that you get from the actions. Mm-hmm. so it's like if somebody gets to that cow market before you especially if they get there multiple times before you, yep. they're going to take all the most valuable cows. Yeah, and make it really difficult. And and especially yeah. with the job market, actually. I think that's what he really got me on is I was like, I'm going to be a cowboy this game. And he went and hired all the cowboys on the first turn. And oh I was gosh. like, I guess I'm not. And, <laughs> you know, and I, and it's not, it wasn't very late in the game. So I wasn't right. like, this is a travesty. But it it made you rethink things. I just couldn't do it. I'm like, I literally can't do it. There's none on the market. And we've played games where it's just been somehow, what was it? Builder. It was like, oh my gosh, there was no builders. Craftsman. There there was was, no craftsman. There was a game a couple games ago. Yeah. None. There must have been, there must have been a bag, you know, you draw out of these bags and the bag must have been 90% craftsman at the end of the game. Just for some reason we were not drawing them. So like if you wanted to build, you just couldn't. It was really tough. That was the same game and there weren't, weren't any uh, water hazards. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was no water hazards weird. and there was no craftsman. Super weird. Must not have liked blue. I guess not. Are they blue? They're not blue. The cowboys They're are They're the blue. maroon ones. Oh, that's yeah. okay. <laughs> <laughs> there is scarcity in just beating people to places and that's really where that player interaction comes in. Mm-hmm. And we have played the second edition. Okay. Which... I think I showed you the cover to the first edition. Oh, maybe you did. This, what is it? Is it like super goofy or something? I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, it's like a black and white odd rendering of three old men who look like they're kind of like drawn on top of generic 3D models or something. Oh, God. I'm Googling it right now. It just now. says, you know, I, I, I shouldn't. Well, it is bad. It, it has. It's not it's a not great your, cover. It's not your style. It's a... I'm going to say, I'm going to say this. It's a bad look in this day and age. It's a bad look. It is like three generic old white men front and center on this game about just herding cattle. And it kind of just gave me bad vibes. And I, I heard great Western trail was like an amazing game. It's one of the highest rated games that I just hadn't played, even though I knew in my heart of hearts that I should. Mm Mm-hmm. 
but the cover just really turned me off. Some of the some of the theming really turned me off. So the cover, it looks kind of like a mobster game almost, <laughs> like the way that, that it is. Because like I was thinking, I think I got on the goofy trail, and then when you were like, it's black and white, and I was like, oh, like a comic strip. <laughs> um, but it's yeah, it's like the it's like three dudes looking all grumpy and angry and grovel groveled gristled but also kind of like baby faced i just think it's such a weird yeah they have like just they're dead in the eyes (laughs) but it does like at first i thought it was kind of like a mobster like new york kind Mm -hmm. of game it looks like a black and white like pencil drawing kind of Uh, i get that i could see that it doesn't showcase just how fun it is it just looks like it'd be a game with a lot of reading (laughs) And I don't mind reading, but I just didn't want that. I was like, I, you know, this is not appealing to me. As good of a game as it can be, you can do better as far as being... Do di- better. Yeah, just like a more diverse, inviting looking game. It was pretty stodgy. It's like what Paul Hollywood would say. Yeah, I yeah. learned it from the Great British Bake Off. Don't know what it means, but I think it means <laughs> what I think it means. Feels stodgy. And so I just kind of avoided it. So then second edition was announced and it was kind of just like, this is my chance this is my chance to finally be invited into the fold and see what this game is about. So I bought it as soon as I could. Mm-hmm. And the second edition makes a few changes. The cover is a huge change. It ha- it now has a beautiful cover. Do you want me to show it to you? Oh, I see it right there. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it does have a very pretty desert scene. With it's like more a about cowboy. the landscape. Yeah. Yeah. Like a cowboy sitting on his horse. I was about to say on his cow, <laughs> <laughs> you know, like colorful. And it is a painting. Mm-hmm. Kind of, it looks like it's yep. very, it's very nice. It's very evocative of that kind of yeah, it adventurous looks like outdoor style. feeling yep. of being alone in the wilderness or well, not even in the wilderness, but alone in the, on this trail. Path in yeah. the middle of nowhere, yeah. connecting two main cities. Two big old cities. And it, in addition to that, it <laughs> added a few balance tweaks, which I don't care about because I'm probably never going to play at high enough level to to really take advantage of those. It also added a couple new buildings, which is kind of fun, but again, mm-hmm. like I I wouldn't really know the difference. The new artwork was a huge selling point. The other thing besides that cover that I didn't like that really changed in this version that was important to me to feeling comfortable having this game on my shelf is there used to be an area where you would go trade with the Indians. And that was that bandit path. Oh. And. Yeah, that's gross. You don't need that. The tokens were TPs. Come on. And, you know, and it, and people would argue like, but this is about trading with the Indians. It's not about, and again, I'm using Indians because that is literally the terminology they use in the game, not because. That's what I was thinking, because I know you wouldn't use that term. Yeah. So but, I'm assuming that that's what in, was in the game. Yeah. But it's like, you know what? There are so many other creative ways to introduce trading. Yes. And, you know, our people would argue you're trading with them. It's not, you know, because you feel like you were killing them because you were being like, I'm taking this one off the board and I'm getting money or something like that. Really, it was representative of trading. But I also think like... But it's like, even if you're just trading, you're still using the stereotype of a, a, a group of people to satisfy your game mechanics. Also who historically trading with the Native Americans was not favorable in, in you know, it wasn't, it wasn't right. a fair trade in favor of the Native Americans. Right. It usually was right. manipulative and really taking advantage and, or just outright being like, this is a trade and yeah, we're going to do it. Quote unquote, quote unquote trade, trade at gunpoint. Yeah. Co- it's good. Yeah. That's a good point. I'm getting all heated up about this. I didn't know that. <laughs> I just think that's, I think that's just super lazy. 
especially like it's not a game from the 1960s. Right. And so I think those two things were, you know, the cover and then that element was just like, I'm just like, I'm not going to, you you know, I don't want to put this on the table. Now they added a bandit path. Some people are arguing like it makes it less thematic. But I'm like, no, it doesn't. Not at all. You're literally going being like, these people are wanted bandits. Mm-hmm. I'm going to collect them and turn them in for money. That's yep. literally what you do with bandits, or, you know, yeah. on a wanted poster. The yeah, famous or... thing from the Old West. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I can't see any way that it is not a good change. And I think it's yeah. an awesome change. And overall, Eggert Spiel did a great job with the the reboot of it, the second edition of it. Yeah. And I think every change they made was really good. And now I feel really great about owning it and like excited to share it, to it with people. people. Yeah. yeah. And instead, because can you imagine if you with the first game with the first edition, if you were teaching other people and you just had to have a disclaimer before every single game? It's just yeah. like, OK, this is so this is just like a thing. Yeah. And I hate it, but it's just part of the game. It's a good mm-hmm. game, but this part sucks. And that's one of those things. It is a great game. But there is, as we always say, there is an embarrassment of riches in terms of great games. And even the best game, there's a million other great games as well that might handle it better. And I think the changes they made are great. And now it rightfully deserves the place that it probably held. Because, no surprise, it is a great game. Mm -hmm. Like, I think the first time I played it, I was like, this is an okay game. But every single time I played it, it really took a couple turns to kind of really grok how I should be playing it. But once I got into it, it is a pretty enticing game. I am pretty into playing it. <laughs> I, yeah, I agree. I, I think every time you've asked if I wanted to play it, I'm always up for it. Mm-hmm. And it's a big, heavy game. And sometimes you're not, but I think we talked about it on the last podcast, but I was, you know, mm-hmm. it had been a long day and I had called and I was just like, Hey, you want to come home? You, I don't remember. You texted me yeah. from your office upstairs to my office downstairs. <laughs> and you're like, Hey, you want to order barbecue and play great Western trail? And yeah. I was like, yes, please. Yes, please. We yeah. ordered delicious barbecue and then we played this and it was really great. And listen to outlaw country. Yeah. I can't remember. Did we play it twice that night or just the one time? I think we just played it once, but we might have played it a couple nights in a row. Yeah, we probably kept it set up because I remember there was one time when I just like royally kicked your butt. And that (laughs) was royal kick my butt. That was the time I've been talking about where I went into I went big into cowboys Mm -hmm. um, because if you get you only need five cowboys to get like the best deal on cows at the cow market yeah but if you get six cowboys you get like a one-time benefit and then you also get more points at the end of the game where if you only have four cowboys not worth anything no points right and so i went big into cowboys which i had never done before and went big into cow like buying cows but then i also um at the same time was buying engineers kind of just like not as aggressively but then what I would do with the engineers is like I would leave them behind on the station. So then I would own those stations mm-hmm. and I would just keep giving up engineers because then the more engineers I had, the faster I moved on that track, I would get to a station and then I would just give up an engineer. And mm-hmm. so I was a little bit slower, but then maybe I'd gain another one. Which is a good strategy because some of the spots when you hire them, mm-hmm. it gives you an immediate bonus when you cover that one. And the engineers are all at the beginning. They have the most, yeah. The Actually, be- they're on every one, but they're on the, be- they're the only ones who have it at the beginning. So yeah. at the beginning of the game, you can hire an engineer and get a little bonus and yeah, then hire like, another one and get a little bit of bonus. Like a couple extra dollars or, yeah. you know, something like that. Or you discard a card, get a couple bucks. Yep. But in um, the co- beginning of the game, a couple bucks is... Big, big deal and yeah. that's that's the thing i always do is like i build land that 
rewards you for every other building you have in, in the, the forest. Yep. And I was up to a point where I was getting $6 every time I passed yeah, by that. That's right. That was that game. Cause and I, that building takes a while to pay off. So I always kind of skip it and I'm just like, eh, I, don't I do it one. right away. Cause, cause then if I build it in a forest, that's two bucks. Yep. And then also it has a hazard on there. So if you have to pass through it, that's another dollar or a tax, two, yeah. depending I, on, yeah, there's a tax. And so that's one of my, and it only costs the one uh, construction worker to do it, mm-hmm. which you already have. Yeah. And then that game was different for me because I did not buy an artisan. Or craftsman. Craftsman. God darn it. <laughs> artisan is how we got on to the topic know, of Great craftsman. Western Trap. That game was interesting because like a lot of times I have a really hard time staying focused because I'll see you doing something and going and I was like oh I should probably get into that too Mm -hmm. but that time I just did not get into craftsmen at all I didn't buy them I didn't compete with you for them I didn't build I built all of the properties that cost one craftsman and then I might have built my like a two craftsmen on top of one of those right you can overbuild and pay the difference in craftsmen yeah but i went just like i stayed super focused and stayed on the cowboys and then used the um engineers to just keep pushing my train forward and that worked out really well i'm very proud of it i was very proud because <laughs> i was like i'm not even going to try to get into that because yeah. i almost did there was a moment where you were about to buy a craftsman and you're like why am i gonna do it's you're, like you're, why am i doing this just because yeah. it's available it's like the cheapest worker yeah like, that's just not going to do anything for me. That's going to be a waste of a turn that's just going to, like, dilute everything else I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So I felt very good about that. I was very proud of that game. And also, I just kicked your butt. Like, you did pretty bad time. on that, bo- that game. <laughs> so the so that was fun. I enjoy this game. The pendulum shifted. <laughs> I, I won a few beginning games just because I had played it a few times, and I have lost more and more. But that's how it goes. <laughs> but it's it's just so much fun, too. And it's kind of one of those things where... I think at the end, you definitely, that last game, you were like, okay, how bad is this going to be? But I honestly thought it was still pretty close. Yeah, it was pretty close. And then I think you were surprised at how close it it was. Mm -hmm. Um, You thought it would be even more of a blowout. But I was still unsure that I would win. I was like, something is going, you're going (laughs) to, like, you were beating me in a couple of different things, like the land and the bandits or whatever. Um, And I was like, some of that is going to add up. And it's just all of a sudden going to be like, Chris, 120, Casey, 119 or something like that. There was a chance where I could have because I was, I set the market and I was like, I'm going to, I stopped twice to buy cattle. And I was (gasps) like, I'm going to add some cattle to the market with my last cowboy and then I'll buy it at my next stop. And I was like, Casey's way back there. There's no way she's going to come up and buy cattle in the next turn. And you just jumped ahead and just bought all that cattle and that cost me a lot of points. Yeah, I don't think I you would have won, but it was like a solid, I think it would have been just a few points difference. Yeah, because it would have denied you those points too. Right. But that's how it goes. That's life on the trail. Oh, it was so good. It, it is good. Delicious victory. There are a lot of fun moments to be had in Great, Great Western Trail. Like there that. are. It is good. Uh, I like it because there's not a whole lot of clashing. You're not preventing me from taking any actions. So I get to focus on myself a lot and kind of build up my (laughs) engine. Get some Casey time. Get some Casey time. Focus on me, what I need. Um, You know, and I get to kind of just, I I get to really dive in Mm -hmm. and sink my teeth in 
to like what I want to accomplish. Yeah. But then also at the same time, there is that added kind of friction. It's tension, of, not conflict. Yeah. And I really like that. There's a lot like, of tension. At the, in the, the end of the game, is. you're just like, like every turn you're like I'm just like, go faster, go faster. Yeah. I already have my next four moves planned out. Let's go. <laughs> Yeah. That was, it made it really fun. Cause then, yeah, at the beginning, especially it's like a little bit more inward. And then as the game goes on and I'm seeing like the cows disappear and the, the, the stations get filled up and then it's just kind of like, okay, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Let's go, let's go. Yeah. Uh, and it's just, it's fun. It's yeah. kind of white knuckled at the end. <laughs> well, I think, I think that's all we need to say about Great Western Trail. I think so. Yeah. How much, do you know how much it is? Is it like 60 bucks? 65 um, it's normal game priced, so probably retails at like 60 or 70 or something, but it's likely you're going to see it mostly at like 50, mm-hmm. $50, I would say is probably what you're most likely going to see it at, you know, on Amazon or, yeah. or at your local Red 6 gaming store. So it's definitely a little bit expensive, but I think it's... But for games, I mean, for games of that weight, that is like I, yeah. exactly what you pay. I know. I'm just thinking like a lot of the other games that we've reviewed are like the 30 to $40. That's true. I think for a lot of, a lot of the time and 60 bucks, that's a lot to spend on a board game, especially for, you know, anybody just getting into it or, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, maybe Great Western Trails isn't right for somebody that's just getting into board games <laughs> just not. because it is hard, a little bit higher barrier to entry, like learning curve. It is. But um, if you make it past that learning curve, I mean, it's like a lifetime game. I feel like... I was like, going to say, it's a really good investment yeah. because every single time we've played it so far, it's completely different. Mm-hmm. We have a completely different game based on just like what tiles are drawn, how our strategies are, how many people we're playing with how many buildings are being built because that just changes everything yes really slows down the game if there's a lot of buildings built because you have to stop each one of them count as a as a stop yeah compared to some games that we've reviewed in the past like even last week when we did taverns of tiefenthal Mm -hmm. taverns of tiefenthal taverns that's a tough game to say (laughs) taverns of tiefenthal is great and i would bring it out in a second but i don't think i would play it three times a week yeah, and be like, I know what I'm going to do next time. That's totally different. I think eventually you'd be like, okay, my yeah. luck is going to change a little bit here and there, but there's a strategy and you're kind of going to go after it. Yeah. That's why that one night it was like eight or nine o'clock and you're like, do you want to play this? And I'm like, yeah, I could totally play that Taverns of Tiefenthal because mm-hmm. I knew exactly what I was going to be getting into. Mm-hmm. But with Great Western Trails, I feel like it's... I just think it's more replayable. I think it's, yeah. it's more it's so competitive mm-hmm. and it's more strategic and variable. Um, I'm going to say there's more game space to explore, if that makes sense. Yeah. No, that totally makes sense. And what we haven't even no touched sense. on is you, all of those building tiles are double-sided. Oh, what? So there's a whole different set of buildings. <laughs> Why did I? I never even knew that. Because we never looked at the other side. Because we've only played on the A side. There's also a B side, and you don't even have to play all A side or all B side. You have to choose like A or B per tile, and everyone has to play. You have to choose to play the same tiles. Yes. I'm gonna play the B side of the first tile. You also have to play the B side of the first tile. Yes, correct. So there's that. There's also a expansion folded right into the main game, which we haven't touched, which is a different cow variant that ages every time you go around the trail. Mm. There is also, you know how like right off the bat you hire somebody Mm -hmm. and then the next one is you discard a card and you can build something. And then the next one is you can buy cows or whatever, or, you know, the order that those, the base um, starting tiles are there. Yeah. That is 
also random. We play in the the way it recommends, but okay. after your first couple of games, you can do any order. I was wondering about that because it did stay the same like the few times that we played it, and I was kind of like, oh, I feel like this is something that would change up. It does change up. We cool. just haven't really explored it because um, there's so much to explore, and we just were kind of wrapping our heads around it. And I think yeah, that's no, something think that, we'll definitely explore. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. So with all of those variables, and then just as much as your opponents decide how you're going to play your strategy, I think there's a lot to exploring great in great western trail yes i think yeah that price take it, it's still a very good investment because i feel like you're going to get a whole lot of gameplay out of it and that's why i was saying like i can see somebody who great western trail is one of their first games mm-hmm. and they just are like what is this crazy thing about and they pick it up and they learn it and it might have a steep learning curve but once you get it down the turns are fast you can just play it again and again and again and i think there's definitely that type of person who, you know, back in the day you bought Catan and played that a thousand times. And this could be this generation's like version of that game where you yeah. just pick it up and you're like, we're just going to play this every week for months. And that's just what we're going to do. I think it supports it. I've actually never played Catan. That's, that's <laughs> I fine. Played like I, a I, think co- that's fine. I think I played a couple of rounds with my family on vacation. I know. I think I saw a photo when I was internet stalking you oh (laughs) i was gonna say i was like i think that was right when we first started dating yeah and i was like take a picture of me playing this board game (laughs) and then it was like two rounds and i was like okay i'm gonna leave now (laughs) okay well i saw it and i was like aha this person will learn some games this person's up for board gaming well it turns out you were you yes indeed i think Catan is fine i think it's good yeah. It's, I don't own it and I don't, I probably will never own it. I've, I've, There's other games to play. And I think it's good. Yeah. Well. <laughs> I don't know. Why. Unexpected <laughs> turn into Catan. Um, yeah. Well, I think that really sums up our whole podcast. Yes. <laughs> we are just the epitome of the Minnesota Lutheran goodbye. Yeah. We can't even do it on the podcast. <laughs> All right. Well, let's, let's say goodbye. Yeah. And just do the cow shuffle away. Well, first, let's tell people where they can find us on the internet. Okay. I was just so excited for the shuffle. So online at www.shufflebuddies.com. Mm-hmm. Quality website. Quality website. Soon we'll have uh, quality merch if Chris ever starts using his uh, screen printing kit that I bought him for Christmas last year. <laughs> <laughs> and then on Twitter, it is shuffle underscore buddies. And then on Instagram, it's shuffle underscore buddies underscore pod. Mm-hmm. And then it's like on all of the podcasting platforms. Mm -hmm. And then Chris will tell you all about the board game geek stuff. Yep. On boardgamegeek.com, you can go to guild3836. Did you remember it? 3836. I know. Last time you were surprised when you remembered it. I was wondering if you stored it from week to week. Oh, you didn't even give me a chance to um, tell you that I knew that it was 3836. Let's rewind. Our guild is... 3836. Oh, you remember. I know. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so go to the guild and guild up. Ask a question, say hi. Yeah, you can ask Chris how mm. to play um Ultra Honeycomb Sweet Bee Dreams yep. Hotel. I'll teach you all about Sweet Bee Dreams. <laughs> and you can also on that same website, and maybe I'll link it from the guild so it's even easier to find. Actually, I linked it from our website itself. Mm. Oh, is that like when you link to all the games that we talked about? Yes, you can find the Shuffle Buddies podcast, a complete list of games mm. discussed. Yeah. And it has a catalog of every game we've talked about, as well as timestamps about which episode 
and when in the episode it happens. Will this episode include Catan? No. <laughs> we have to at least have a sizable discussion. We have to at least it. talk about I it. I will just for fun. <laughs> <laughs> Sweet. Can you are you also do you also do uh um phone games? Ultra Honeycomb Hotel? No, I don't. Anything that's not on Board Game Geek, I don't do. <laughs> so I don't do the television shows. I don't do the movies or the, the video games. Man, that's all that I talk about. <laughs> I know. Well, you can I you can I do your just, own you can do your own housekeeping. I post <laughs> you just brushed me away. <laughs> I did post that one time on Instagram. Uh-huh. Maybe I'll get back to it. We need some help on Instagram. Yeah, I'll do it. I just don't want to step on your toes. But I should. I should just post on Instagram. I don't think you'd care. I don't do very much on it. I know. I should. The Instagram's my jam. Okay. This is the fourth phase of our goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> should we shuffle away? Yeah. And I, I, I want to point out again that every week we make our own music for this podcast. It's true. And this week we have moved into the realm of plugging in all of the instruments you use down in your office. So we have a live guitar on this yeah, one. Yeah, acoustic guitar. So then maybe next we need to do an electric guitar mm-hmm. and then vocals. Yep. Get there. And, and violin. Yep. And Evie but, howling. Oh, yeah, that'd be so cute. <laughs> yeah. So actually, this the song that I played on the intro is a, is a real song that I actually wrote for one of my old bands called The Fattening Frogs. Oh, are we going to get a nope, copyright it's my cease song. and okay. It's my song. <laughs> no, no copyright cease and desist coming our way. Nope, this is my jam. It's my little jammy jam. So, but it was just it's my favorite thing to play on open tuning and it just came out real well. And just kept going with it. And it had so, a twang to it. So, yeah, I thought it was perfect. That's kind of what we were going for. It's not as like it's a little campfirey. Like sitting around mm-hmm. a campfire, you could you could croon mm-hmm. to this tune. All right, that's the fifth phase of our goodbye. Yeah, I just wanted to point that out because I, I feel you. like we never talk about it. And we put a lot of time and effort into writing a new song for every intro. It's true. Which is every... something that I don't even know why we do it, but it's fun. It's fun. Because <laughs> that's the thing that I get to down. do. That's the thing that I get to do. Because you do all this work on everything else. And this is the one thing that I contribute. Except other for then just... I have to record it and edit it. But <laughs> <laughs> I know, Chris is to the point. He's like, we should just like record a song that is really good and we can just use it whenever we can't record a new song. And I was like, no, <laughs> that's no fun. Well, it is a lot of fun. It gives us something to do. Yeah, it is. It, it's good. It got me back into even just like playing a little bit of music. And now you're in a band again. Yeah, dude. Rock it. A, and then you're going to leave the podcast to go start on a world tour. I'll still call in for a podcast. <laughs> I'll call in on the phone. It'll just sound super crappy. Why does that still sound so crappy when people call in on phones? Okay, sixth phase of our goodbye. I'm (laughs) waiting for you to shuffle away. All right, well, let's shuffle along, little doggy. Shuffle along, little doggy. Shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. Keep going. Keep shuffling.
Moo, dude. <laughs> <laughs> A moo, dude.